of life, different things that we, we experience, different things we interact with, and just looking at these different things through the lens of the gospel. And so we, we hope it's been a series that's been uh, pretty on the ground, pretty concrete for the most part. Today we're talking about something that affects more and more and more of us. What I'm talking about is mass media. We, we live in this really interesting moment uh, culturally where, where we've had these enormous leaps in technology. And, and so many of us are, are trying to figure out, man, what do we do with social media? And what do we do with the way that, like, now that binge-watching television is an option, what do we do with, you know, what's a healthy amount of, of binge-watching TV? And, and actually what's, what's being found is that there's enormous changes happening to us uh, emotionally and mentally as a result of what's been happening in technology. And so we're going to talk about that today. Kids, how many, how many kids here in, in fourth grade or fifth grade? Raise your hand. Okay. Today is going to be really important for you. Okay. Third graders? Any third graders? No? There you go. Awesome. All right. You're not necessarily going to understand every single thing said, but kids, I encourage you to listen because as you're growing up, you're going to be encountering these issues in a way that, that many of us ha- have not. You will be one of, the, one of the first generations to grow up basically from the cradle with social media and with TV the way it is today. And so I encourage you to listen, because as you follow the way of Jesus, you have an opportunity to be a leader in these things. And, and that's, that, that goes the same for, for all of us here. Even if you're here and, and you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're, you consider yourself a seeker or a skeptic, we encourage you to, to you know, glean from this whatever seems beneficial. I think there's going to be a lot that extends beyond even us as you know, those of us who, who consider ourselves followers of Jesus and just in, in the things that you know, like public health, you know, like just ways to be healthy. So here at Trinity, we consider culture to be very important. So you'll notice a lot of the preachers will talk about culture as they do a sermon. Today, instead of me doing that, we're going to have somebody else do that because she's way more qualified to do it, right? So today, I'm super excited to have Kristen Gumminger. She's a member of this congregation. And she's going to be, I'm just basically going to interview her for much of the time that, that would normally be spent with a sermon. And she'll just be kind of filling us in on the state of mass media. So, Kristen, super excited to have you here, obviously. Um, so, most of you probably know Kristen because she heads up our women's ministry. That's her, her part-time work in the church. Yes, please applaud her. She's <laughs> awesome, right? So, yes. Kristen is awesome. Um, so... She heads up our women's ministry here, here at the church. She's a very able discipler, um, and, and many of you have benefited from her ministry. Um, some of you may not know that full-time, uh, what Kristen does is she's an academic. And so she's been putting in a lot of her professional research into uh, mass media and, and different forms of technology and the way that they're changing us. And so just to kick us off, Kristen, could you kind of let us know, first off, what is mass media? And then how did you find your way into, into researching it. All right, mass media. I am so passionate about this area because it's changed so much since I've been little, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So how many of you this week have read a book, a magazine, or a newspaper? All right, I'm excited to see a lot of small people's hands go up too. That's exciting. Those are the print mediums, so that's part of mass media. How many of you listen to a song, or you listen to Spotify, or the radio? All right, quite a few. That's our audio medium. Some people are going with two hands. I like that. Yes, that's definitely what I've done. 
visual mediums, so you've watched television or videos on YouTube or you've seen a movie this week. Yeah, that would be our and a foot went up. There we go. Excellent. <laughs>、um, visual mediums, excellent. And our last one is interactive mediums. You've played a video game this week, or you've done on social media, or you've been on internet. All right. Pretty much.、Uh, wow. Two feet now are going up. All right, and two hands over here. My guess is, if we are on average, if you're a teenager or an American adult, you spend anywhere from seven to twelve hours a day on mass mediums. That's where we're landing right now. So between print and audio and visual and interactive, we are spending a great chunk of our lives on these. I first started teaching about mass media in the year 2000, and that's pretty important because I was interested at the time. But huge revolutions hadn't yet taken place. I was actually in my last week of pregnancy when something very important happened. One week before my son was born, Facebook opened everything up. To anybody, not just high school or university students, but to anybody with an email address who was 13 and up. So I had no idea when I was going into labor that my world of communication was about to change. How many of you were 16 or older in 2006 when Facebook did that? All right, you did not grow up anything like the kids are growing up today, right? The other big change happened when my son was four. The iPhone came out in 2007. In 2010, only one in four U.S. adults' households had a smartphone. Nine years ago, only one in four households had a smartphone. Now we're over 90%. So huge changes. I was seeing him in the classroom. I was seeing him in my parenting, and I thought I am not yet prepared for this. So I was doing a lot of research personally, as well as a lot of research professionally. And now I'm actually working on a book on parenting in a technology age. So this is part of how I'm interested. So to be candid, what most of this interview is going to be about is going to be about some of the more negative、uh, parts of mass media. We're going to be focusing in mainly on social media and on sort of TV and film.、Um, so just to be balanced, knowing what most of the interview is going to be like, can you just name some of the the, the positive benefits that have have come from these? I mean, obviously with with TV and film, I, you know, I think. I praise God for TV and film, like <laughs>、yeah. you know, to, to have a, a, media, a medium, an artistic、mm-hmm. medium that's that's so immediate and is working in real time. I mean, a、uh, hundred years ago, you had to pay a lot of money to go to the theater to、mm-hmm. experience that, and so TV and film allows us to tell stories that have, you know, really we, we, just a whole new batch of stories that w- would have never been told or are now being told as a result of TV and film. So we praise God for that.、Mm-hmm. Can you name a, a couple of the other positive benefits of? Absolutely. All right, I'm going to start outing some of our older pe- members of our convers- congregation here. How many have used a card catalog in your lives? Yeah, children, look around. Somebody raised a hand. Go talk to them sometime about it. Like to use a card catalog in a library. It's very different. I love information. The information that's available at the at any time. Two in the morning, a child comes down with a symptom, and I'm texting. Or, and I'm, you know, I'm on my internet. How, what, what is that? Um, we we can get information about anything so easily today, and that has some challenges, but it also has some incredible benefits.、Um, how many of your kids have seen like Sesame Street, Sesame Street or something like that? There's actually really good evidence that some of those shows actually increase our empathy.、Mm-hmm. Sesame Street put in、uh, more recently an autistic Muppet, so that people could understand the autism spectrum a little bit better. 
And so there's some amazing things that are happening to kids who take the right kind of media in. They're actually learning about worldviews in helpful ways and how to interact with people and not just think they're about their own, themselves. So there's some really neat evidence of that. Great news for video gamers. <laughs> there's actually a lot of good evidence that video games help our problem-solving skills if you play them with others, teamwork. Wow. Now, kids, don't go off on this yet, okay? <laughs> don't have to just say it. In moderation, in small amounts, video games can be really, really helpful for us. So some information, empathy is a big thing. There are some good problem-solving and teamwork things that are happening. You may get involved or get information about good causes. Do people remember the ice bucket challenge? That can actually, there's a lot of things that we can learn about that we can jump on and be able to help out with that we wouldn't have known about without social media, for example. Oh, that's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that, too, because I think... What we want to make clear is that we're not suggesting some kind of a, like, let's silo ourselves and all become, like, principled Luddites and, like, (laughs) find a bomb shelter and just put a bunch of cans in there. Like, we're we're not saying totally go off of social media, right? Right. We're we're just saying that that there's some very, very legitimate cautions Mm -hmm. um, that we're we're venturing out into unknown territory and that that there are real dangers that are starting to surface, right? Mm -hmm. And so the the right response isn't um, to totally abstain, to to totally, like, rid ourselves of it, but to to figure out what it means for us to uh, use it meaningfully and in a healthy way. Um, So when we were talking the other day, you mentioned sort of two big umbrella issues, right, mm-hmm. with, with social media and, and certain forms of TV and film. And, and the first one was, was kind of the one I think most of us are, are going to be expecting, that one of the big problems that we're encountering just has to do with the content. Just has to do with the content. In other words, the, the content of what, what we're seeing in TV and film, the content of what's coming across to us over social media, that was, that was one of the big ones that you mentioned. I, w- I wonder if you could just speak to that briefly. Yeah. So a lot of us kind of know the traditional challenging categories of content. And if you can even just, with somebody near you, what's one of the, the areas of content that you know people are probably concerned about? Just with somebody near you, what's one? And we'll see if you guys come up with some of the same ones I'm going to come up with in just a moment. Or maybe you watch all good media. That's great. So if I had to guess, how many of you said violence? Yeah. That's one of the big areas that people in my field are watching, um, in part because violence is getting more graphic. And Netflix, in particular, has been taken to task recently for how much of the violence is being shown against women. Mm. So we have to be careful of not only about the violence itself, but how it's what we call in my field framed. How is it presented? Some of you, uh, Family Sunday, adult content. Let me put it that way. Okay? All right. That's the way you... Yeah. That's smart. A, yeah, yeah, that's another important area, in part because we are starting to normalize what I would call deviance. In other words, a lot of that's been shown is just the average normal person, that this is going to be part of their life to be part of these industries that we know are involved in trafficking and in criminal activity. And that's becoming like, oh, everybody does that. That's a concern for us. You might have mentioned language. Perhaps that's one of the categories that came up. So violence, um, adult content, language. You might have mentioned substance abuse. Some of you are aware that overdoses are, have overtaken auto accidents as our, uh, in terms of causes of death, and so we're a lot of concerned about how substances are being presented. Those are what I call traditional things that we are concerned about, and we should be concerned about them. I think we should. I'm actually even more concerned about the things we don't think about. 
So for my kids in the audience, how, what's, what's a bicycle? Yeah. You've got it, a thing with two wheels that you pedal. So bi, binary. When people watch a lot of television and get involved in social media, they start to see the world as binary. It's two things. It's Republican or Democrat. It's conservative or it's liberal. And not only do we see them as binary, we see them as in conflict. And news shows it not only in conflict, but in crisis. So the more that you take in media, the more likely you are to see the world in two ways, in conflict and in crisis, over and over again. And that's part of why people who watch a lot of television or indulge in a lot of media start to be more fearful, more anxious, and more angry. And so that's one of the things I'm concerned about because a lot of people don't think about that because the real world, honestly, is not binary. There's lots of things out there, and we really often get stuck into those places. How many of you are familiar with algorithms? Okay, another big word, and some kids may, may or may not have heard it. It's actually really important because it's affecting all of us. If you use Internet, if you're on a smart television, those kinds of things. People and all sorts of organizations are tracking you. Not only are they tracking you, but they are actually beginning to feed you content about who they think you are. Really interesting book called The Filter Bubble by Eli Pariser. I highly recommend it. So, for example, if I look up something on Google, and you look up something on Google, and you look up something on Google, and you look up something on Google, we may not get the same search results because we've all been targeted in certain ways. So, for example, if you look up a lot of conservative things, they're going to start pushing more and more extreme conservative things towards you Mm -hmm. on social media and on Internet. Um, Same thing if you start to show some liberal. They're going to start to push more extreme, and pretty soon you're thinking, how can anybody think other than this? Because that's all you're getting fed. And you're not realizing that other people are seeing different things. So that's even creating more of this binary conflict, fear, anger, So that's a real concern for those of us who study media is what's happening to us. And that's a pretty wild thing. So, Mm -hmm. because the other part of it is that all mass media is is a business, Mm -hmm. right? So essentially, what's what's happening? If I'm hearing you right, is, is that like through algorithms, you know, the the businesses that operate behind mass media know that we will sort of buy in more the more they can just like stroke whatever our, our ego, you know, mm-hmm. wants and, you know, kind of appeal to what we've already revealed about ourselves. And what's disturbing to me about that is that over time, what that means is that our worldviews are being shaped by mass media. Mm-hmm. So the, those two last ones that you mentioned, the sort of binary way of seeing the world, like we are becoming shallower people mm-hmm. because of the world that most mass media is, is presenting us. So, you know... For instance, with, with TV, um, my wife and I were just watching a, a show that we got really into, and um, you know, it, it started out and was presenting this really complex view of the world. Where it was like, oh man, this is so cool! It's really just embracing how how difficult the subject matter is, and some of the content. It, it certainly wasn't sterile, but it was it was done tastefully and it was done strategically. And then suddenly, the the third season comes around. The the show takes this wild downturn and is just presenting this reductionistic vision of the world. It's as though you're literally just hearing talking points spoken to you through characters. Um, and what that does, it sounds like, is, is it makes us shallower people. We become mm-hmm. less deep mm-hmm. as a result of, of being presented with a shallow world, right? And with, with the algorithms, too. I mean, it's, it's this situation where 
we are walking away from our screens thinking that the only sincere, reasonable people in the world are the ones who agree with me as an individual, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that is not something that we should ever be because sincere, reasonable people disagree with us on all kinds of things. Um, and they, they, you know, I think the only real way that we can meaningfully interact with them is by recognizing that they are both sincere and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Most likely. There's very few mustache-twirling villains out there, right? <laughs> right. Um, instead, most of us you know, arrived at our conclusions because we, we felt something about them was right. And now that doesn't mean that all viewpoints are right. It only means that for us to have meaningful dialogue, we have to think charitably about one another. Mm-hmm. And meaningful dialogue is another thing that's taking a hit. <laughs> it just is. Yeah. The last thing I want to mention real quickly is um, how many kids have seen an advertisement for, what, Legos or what's what else have you guys seen advertisements for my kids here? Yeah. Flex tape, okay. <laughs> All right, that'd be my son. Yeah? yeah? Okay, well, you've probably seen, you've probably seen a lot of ads. Yeah. Makeup, you got it. Sunscreen, all right. Okay, one last one. Okay. <laughs> One of the best documented effects of media as it goes into places that didn't have as much media is people become greater consumers. I need that Lego set. Oh, and here's a new Lego set. I need that one, too. Or I need this car. Oh, and now I need that car. I need this phone. My phone still works, but boy, I need that phone. So that's one of the big effects, too, is it just kind of feeds because media is fed by advertising. And so we tend to get a consumeristic culture Not only that, but then you have a lot of product placements in our films and in our television shows that also encourage us to drink this soda or whatever it is. So it literally makes us more dissatisfied with life if we're we're not conscious of of what's happening. Absolutely. And buying things will make us feel better, they think. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's been proven. Oh, yeah. Um, So what was surprising to me when we talked the other day is that content for you is not, as of the two umbrella categories that we talked about, content is actually not what you're most worried about. Correct. What are you most worried about? I'm most worried about the sheer number of hours we're putting in. I have a good friend from Japan, and so when she came to visit me a few years ago, after a couple of days here, she just turned to me and goes, your country is so unhealthy. Like, okay, yeah, it's probably true, but why? And she said, you know, when we go to restaurants, there's enough here to feed three people on my plate. And when we walk down the streets, you guys are selling corn dogs and cotton candy and stuff like that. On my streets, they sell fruits and vegetables and fish and those kinds of things. She said, I cannot believe how big people are, and I can't believe how much you have this weird relationship with food. And I think she's right. If you're not aware, our obesity rates are now at 40% in the United States for adults, and our overweight rates are 70% for adults. We don't have the healthiest relationship with food in this culture. But it looks normal to us because everybody else around us, we grow up in this. It is not normal to spend 7 to 12 hours on media a day. But we can start to feel like it's normal because everybody else is doing it. So the big, big concerns in my field are coming out of the medical and the psychological associations about what we're doing to our bodies, what we're doing to our minds and our emotions, because we are gorging on mass media. And I don't think mass media is a problem in a reasonable number, one hour, two hours a day, probably just fine. But we're not staying in those ranges, and that's my, one of my biggest concerns. Can you sort of describe more of what's actually taking place in terms of public yeah. health? As, yes, thanks. Absolutely. 
So some of the ones that we are especially concerned about is between 2000 and 2016, suicide rates went up 50% for females and 21% for males. Those are huge jumps. Well, what happened between 2000 and 2016? The big thing they think that happened is the smartphone. So cyberbullying and people having a sense of social isolation and loss and all sorts of things going on. It's not the only factor, but it's, we believe it's a big contributing factor to people feeling less satisfied, more worried, more anxious, more stressed, more depressed. All those things are going up. And so it's not making us happier. In fact, we're certain to see a lot of the opposite things happen. It's not just that. Do you realize our nearsightedness is going up? So the U.S. used to be hovering around 25%. uh, One in four people were nearsighted in 1970s. Now we're up to 40%. But we have nothing compared to some Asian countries that are up to 80 to 90% of their young people are nearsighted. What in the world's going on? We're spending too much time like this and this, and we're not spending enough time outside and in sunshine. We weren't made to live like this. We are seeing hearing loss in teens, one in five, roughly teens in the U.S., has noise-induced hearing loss already, and they're seeing hearing loss at the age of 30 that they used to see at the age of 70 because we're putting stuff into our ears. You may be aware of bone spurs that are starting to show up from these technology-induced posture things that we're having. Obesity continues to go up. We believe that's partially a media effect. One of the big jumps was when television first came in. Okay, if you're not depressed yet, okay. (laughs) Not doing my job. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Sleep issues. Big issues in sleep, which again helps with us feeling more anxious and worried. And the other thing is for children, there's cognitive language and emotional delay as they're finding, so much so that the American Academy of Pediatrics in 2016 revised and said no media before age two and one hour a day between age two and five because they're so concerned about what's happening. And if you've been to a pediatric appointment recently, you know that they include that in their screening is how much screen time because it's a health concern. And we're not, we're not bringing that up to shame any parents no. in the room. Like, Ashley and I have put our kids in front of a television for prolonged periods of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're saying it so that we can begin to, to find strategies to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. continue. Yeah, yeah and I, absolutely. That is not my intent, and I can't ever say that I didn't do that either. I had baby Einstein when, I, when Caleb was little, so I definitely exposed him before, uh, before age two. Um, But what we need to realize is 7 to 12 hours is way too much. It's way too much, even if everybody around us is doing it. We need to pull it back. So I'm not sure if this is the right way to frame up this question or if this is specific enough, but what I want to ask is sort of what are we missing out on? Like, Mm. it it just sounds like when we're putting so much time into mass media, um, there are parts of life that would have just been common. Mm Mm-hmm. 16 years ago, yeah. right, that, yeah. that now are sort of dwindling away and that we have a generation coming up that may never experience those things. So what are we missing out on? Mm-hmm. And probably anybody born before 1990 can tell us some of what we're missing out on, <laughs> right? So I'm in that group, and I can tell you I spent most of my childhood on a bike, outside, playing with friends, interacting. We're losing some of that, not just for kids but for adults, that interaction. I asked my grandmother about it because she remembered television coming in. She said, the big thing that I lost, she said, our neighbors all used to come out in the evenings. We'd all sit around and chat, and the kids would play, and we'd talk about the day. And once television came, people stayed indoors. Mm. And we didn't have that sense of community. And I didn't know all the kids, and they didn't know my kids. 
So I think we've lost a ton over the many years since television came in that area. We're losing it more and more as people are isolating. It's not uncommon for families or groups of friends to be in the same room, not interacting at all. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on their own device. I've watched people in restaurants sit there. They all sit down, and they all pull out their phones, and nobody says a word. Yeah. I went to Disney, and the parents, the kids are right around them. The parents are sitting on their phones. I'm thinking, why did you come to Disney? <laughs> you can do your phone on your couch. <laughs> you know? It's that lack of interaction, real interaction with each other that is a concern for people um, in my area for certainly. Um, Not spending enough time exercising or outdoors. And the other thing we're really not very good at anymore is solitude or silence. Actually just sitting with our thoughts or sitting in prayer becomes very difficult for people because as soon as there's silence, we feel like we gotta fill it. So there's there's some real things we're losing. And could you speak to that briefly? So that's something that I don't know if you know, we, we've talked about enough yet, is, is that there's this kind of addictive quality mm-hmm. to it. So where does that come from? And um, what is that doing to us as well? Yeah. yeah. There's no surprise that kids and adults alike, we like media because it's fast and it's exciting and it's fun and the people look great. And then we look up from our screens and maybe the people don't look so great, right? Because we're not airbrushed and all those kinds of things. And life moves kind of slow. And there's dishes, uh, we're, you know, hey, it's a lot more fun in our virtual world than it is in our real world. But God called us to live in our real world. And so part of it is that the mundane, the average, just, eh, I can't wait till I can get back where it's fast and moving and interesting and beautiful and attractive. Those kind of things are pulling us in. Yeah. So have you been able to put practices in place in your own home that you've found helpful might just be able to put some concrete examples into place for us of what this might look like. Yeah, we do have screen limits at our home. Two hours is our limit, and we do try to set timers or make sure that we're keeping track of it. Because I don't know about you, but if I get sucked into something, it's like, oh, I've only spent 15 minutes. Oh, I just spent an hour and a half. Um, because time feels... What year is Exactly, exactly. I can't believe I'm still watching this show. So I found actual physical timers that will actually go off, and we will pay attention to them has been helpful. Uh, We do a lot of co-watching and co-playing video games in our home uh, because we find that that's not only social, but then for David and I as parents, we know what's coming in to our son's lives, um, life in his mind. And so that can be a really helpful practice. We also have media-free places. We don't really have it at at breakfast. We don't have it at dinner. We don't have our devices in bedrooms, certainly not at night. Um, so there's some of those important things can help with sleep issues and with protecting time when we're really interacting. Yes, as, I, as I hear you talking, it, it just makes me feel like the the way that we're sort of gluttonous, because really that's what mm-hmm. we're talking about, yeah. talking about kind of gluttony. The gluttony that we have with media is taking away these things that are so deeply human, mm-hmm. like solitude, like friendship. I mean, my favorite times late high school into undergraduate was like going to the Gurney Caribou when it was still open and I would not have a phone, mm-hmm. you know, and me and a buddy would sit and drink black coffee well into the evening, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> and I didn't sleep well, but it was totally worth it because we were there at Caribou and just had these these sort of meandering, wandering conversations. And, and in particular, I, I, you know, I just realized that back 
then I was more comfortable with silence, mm-hmm. silence in conversation, mm-hmm. where like a silence coming up in conversation wasn't a prompt for like, oh crud, I'm not entertaining my friend enough. How do I, you know, whatever, pull out my phone? We're both on our phones. Like instead, the the boredom, the silence would often be the thing that that made opportunity for depth. Mm-hmm. That when the, when the conversation became silent for a while, it was usually at that point where it became deep. You know, because whatever was going to be said next would often be, like, a little bit more vulnerable than the last thing, a little bit more vulnerable. And that's where our real intimacy developed in in friendships. And I think of the same thing in solitude. Mm -hmm. Like, man, how do you discover anything about yourself without silence, without being bored to death? Mm -hmm. You know, and Mm -hmm. and then just suddenly you start watching yourself and, like, why do I feel the way I feel right now? Oh, is that the reason? And then suddenly you've come to a deeper self-understanding and become a deeper person, yeah. you know? So it seems like we're losing things that are so integral to what it is to be human, yeah. right? Agree. Absolutely. What opportunity do you see for the church in, mm-hmm. in, in this moment culturally? Mm-hmm. We're always called to be salt and light, and so it shouldn't surprise us if we're different. And this is an area where I think we really need to be different. We need to be thoughtful in when we are using media, why are we using it, and how are we using it? And it, it might be something like, you know, I love this television show. Let me find somebody else who loves that television show. Let me invite them over. Let's have a meal. Let's watch the show together. Let's talk. And then all of a sudden, it becomes about community and relationship building. Or perhaps if I'm on social media, I can think about how do I actually represent the Lord well? Please don't get me started about social media that does not represent the Lord well. We don't have enough time to talk about that right now. Um, but I'd really love to see us be charitable and encouraging and kind and uh, humble and all of those kinds of things. Even while disagreeing. Even yes, while disagreeing with a skill that's completely going out the window. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be able to engage other viewpoints without hostility and right. without name-calling and all those kinds of things. I think we have so many opportunities to model healthy use and to be salt and light. So I certainly don't believe we shouldn't use media, but we should use it thoughtfully prayerfully well when we use it and know why we're doing it and not just mindlessly do what everybody else is doing or mindlessly take in things that we know aren't honoring to the Lord. I spend my time teaching college students, and a lot of times as we discuss media, they're like, well, I know this show's not good, but it's so funny. That's not a good reason to watch it. Just because it's funny doesn't justify the fact that there's some really problematic content in here. You need to, if there's problematic content, there's ways to think about that in some different ways. And again, we don't have time to unpack all of that. But just to do it because it's funny and that's, that becomes your main reason, that's problematic to me. So thinking through prayerfully going before God and saying, what do you want me to do with my media life? Because it, it is it's such a huge part of our modern life. I think we have to be thoughtful about it. I think it's important to emphasize, too, like what we're talking about is not sterilizing our media mm-hmm. content, right? Like... I'm only going to watch the movie Fireproof and that's it. Like just, or like Facing the Giants or like, like these, this is the only movies I'm going to watch. Like, I don't think we're we're saying that now that there's anything wrong with those movies. um, They're a little propagandistic, but like not that there's anything (laughs) wrong with them. It's just that, you know, so what we're not saying is we're we're not saying sterilize your media content. What we're saying is be extremely sensitive to the way that it's forming you. Mm -hmm. Right? So, like, the purpose of art is not to only talk about beautiful things. Part of the purpose of art is to also talk about ugly things. But there, 
there's TV and film that does that in a strategic, uh, reserved way and, and still completely engages the material in all its complexity. And there's art that does it in an irresponsible way, right? A deeply yes. irresponsible way, and it's not actually forming us in the way that we should be formed when it comes to, to our posture toward, toward these different issues. Like you mentioned on Netflix, the, the treatment of women. Right. That there are some shows that do that responsibly. Mm-hmm. There are some that do it in a really deeply irresponsible way. And when we watch that, it's going to be in our heads for a long time and um, on an unconscious level likely forming us or at least um, numbing us yeah. to something. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it's okay with you, um, one of the things I encourage people, if there's Ephesians 5 is a really interesting chapter to look at. The Bible will never tell you, thou shalt not watch this on Netflix. I mean, that's not the way it works, right? For lots of reasons. Um, but Ephesians 5, I think, is a really interesting chapter and if I can just quote from one thing that's been helpful for me as I've, I've um, looked at it, make sure I've got my thing here. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And to me, being media, I, I want to think very careful and be very careful how I'm, how I'm living. How am I making the most of every opportunity? Because I think media has that potential to end up having us waste a lot of time rather than being strategic and thoughtful and prayerful about our lives. So I already mentioned how appreciative we are, but just want to do it again. Kristen, your, your ministry here at the church is awesome. Yeah, you're just a, an example of wisdom and, and grace. And so I just know that we, we really benefit a ton from, from having you here. So can we give Kristen a, a round of applause? Yeah. So I'm just going to share some brief thoughts. Um, first off, when I first saw Fireproof, I cried a little bit. So I'm not saying don't watch it. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying, all right, you know what I'm saying. So what, what I'm left thinking about is, is, is this. So what we see in, in the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament, so the book of beginnings, in other words, it's the first book of, of the Bible right when you open it. What we see in, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis is, is this event in humanity's very ancient past where we chose self-rule and, and chose to, to reject God's rule. And it's interesting, when you see the figures of Adam and Eve and, and what they do, what the first thing they do is after they reject God's rule, it's the first thing they do, they hide. They hide. They, they fashion clothes for themselves because now their, their nakedness for them is, it, it, it means that they're vulnerable. Vulnerable to each other. So they're, they're fashioning clothes so that they can't look on each other just as they are. There has to be something in between them now. And then they hide from God, the creator. And I just, as I consider these things, I'm left wondering if maybe part of the reason why social media and, and, and TV and why we, why we put so much time into these things, maybe one of the real reasons is because it's ways for us to hide. That we're still doing the very same thing we've always been doing. We're hiding. Hiding from each other. Hiding from ourselves. Hiding from God. That if I can distract myself 
I will never become bored enough to realize deep things about myself. If I can distract myself, I'll never notice the things about myself that need to change. If I can distract myself, I can be entertained. I don't have to suffer the awkwardness of silence with a friend, even though it's in those very moments where friendships become deep. If I can distract myself, I never have to think that there's anything expected of me more than what I expect of myself. And so we just become isolated. I think that we're isolating ourselves through distraction. We're isolating ourselves through, you know, going on social media or Instagram, Snapchat, even Facebook for, for those of us who are <clears throat> in the, you know, older. Um, well, I'm just, honestly, no young people are on Facebook. Um, I'm considering myself in the Facebook generation, all right? So just to clarify, um, I think what we're doing is we're curating reality. Do you know what I mean by that? That we're, we're going on to these social media outlets and we're, we're throwing something out there to other people and saying, this is my life. And it's totally not. It's, it's this thing that we've like spent all this time, like, all right, what filter am I going to use to make this look just awesome? Oh, that one. And then we're, we're like taking all this time to frame the picture, and then we're taking that picture and we're saying, this is what my life is like. No, it's not. You're, like, in order to present your life on Facebook, you have to choose what photos to show, which means it's not your life. You've, you've chosen one photo over another, and some events in your life were never photo-worthy. But then what happens? We, we go on to these same outlets, and we see other people doing this, and we fall into the lie. Like, oh, man, their life is that good. What's wrong with mine? Because deep down, we're all aware that really we're, we're faking it, that we're all imposters. So what I see in all this is us fashioning clothes out of fig leaves. How does the gospel apply? The gospel is the announcement that God loves you as you are. And he is going to make you into what you should be one day. Not in this lifetime, but that he loves you as you are. Which means that you, with all the stuff that you're hiding on social media, the real you, you are loved. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And what that means is you have no reason to hide. You have no reason to hide. You have nothing to fear in being vulnerable. Your flaws are not a surprise to God. He knew them as Jesus walked to the cross. Your flaws are not a surprise. Grace has been poured on you. But it's also grace that, that doesn't just openly affirm everything that, that, that you are, but instead is drawing you into real life. Jesus said that he came to give the abundant life, which, do, which doesn't mean the comfortable life. It doesn't mean the distracted life. There's much about the abundant life here and now that's very difficult and trying, but it's real life. It's rich. So it means that God's grace means that we don't have to hide from our sin. And it also means that, that there is meaning in the ordinary. 
like what we're watching is sensationalized. We go on social media, we see sensationalized versions of other people's lives. We go on TV, we see sensationalized versions of life, and then we return to the mundane, just like Kristen was talking about, and we just feel so deeply dissatisfied. Jesus is saving the world. And there's much about living in this world that is sensational, but those are the exceptions to the rule. Most of life is washing dishes and getting into relational conflict and being a little bit bored in the evening. And, and yet, it's all of life that Jesus came to restore. The mundane is charged with beauty because God made the ordinary. And the problem is not that the mundane is actually boring. It's not that, that the mundane needs to change so that we have this like new ordinary that's hyper awesome. It just never quits and it's so cool. The problem is not that the ordinary needs to change. We need to change. We were the ones that got bored with the world. And through the gospel, we're, we're hearing that we are going to be changed to recognize the beauty of the ordinary. The gospel also calls us into real community. When we have been forgiven by grace, it means that we can be vulnerable with one another in a brand new way. That we can actually show ourselves for what we are and receive love. It's the the chance to be truly known and truly loved by one another and to, to return that same thing to each other. So that's where I see the, the gospel affecting us with mass media. So I warned you guys about this. The spiritual practice for this week is going to be a five-day social media fast for those of you who are more heavily into social media or for those of you who are just more into like lots of binge-watching TV, which I fall more into that category than than social media. I'm a little bit of a Luddite. Um, For me, it's going to mean, you know, stepping away from from TV. Um, But so that's going to be our spiritual practice this week. Walk away from media for five days. Fill that time with friends. You know, obviously you're going to have to use some media for work. I'm not saying like, oh, this is, I'm going to get fired. Then, then don't do that. Then don't do it. <laughs> don't get fired. Um, but when you get home from work, right, when you get home from work or whatever, when you have the opportunity, when you're using it recreationally, step away for five days. Be human. Be with friends. Be human. Be with yourself. Read a book whatever. Be quiet. Be human for five days. And the amazing thing is, is that studies have actually shown that just with five days away from much of this media, our happiness goes up 14% in five days. Like our mental health instantly has a lift. So some of you may not want to go back and that'd be awesome. That'd be okay. But again, the the problem is not media in general. It's, It's the time we're putting into it. And so I encourage you kickstart this thing with a fast. So let me pray for us, and then the worship team will come back up. Lord Jesus, we we want to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs you. We also know, Lord, that we we are a part of this culture, too. We're a part of this culture, too. And, And we need help. We need health. So, Lord, first off, we thank you that you love us as we are. You you love these media-addicted people. But also, Lord, you're not just—in giving us your grace, you're not just blanketing over um, the things that are hurting us. You're calling us to real freedom. 
as we follow you. And so I pray, Lord, that, that for our own health, we would follow you into the way of truly being human. Lord, I pray that as we take up this fast this week, that we would encounter you. Because ultimately, that's what this is all about for, for those of us who consider ourselves your followers. Health for us doesn't just mean we're more productive. It means that we're more connected to our creator. So draw us in, Lord. I pray that we would encounter your spirit this week in the silence. That we'd encounter you and your people. We love you, Lord. Amen.